So, Mark. Yes? Every once in a while, a movie just has a great title. You know, like, Back to the Future. Speed. It's just a good name. Speed. A great name. Nice and simple. Tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. And every once in a while, a sequel has a really great name, playing on the original. And we talk a lot about Too Fast, Too Furious. I mean, I do think that that is the pinnacle of the good sequel title. It is brilliant in its simplicity. And it works on more than one level, which for a sequel is honestly a lot. Yeah. So the movie we're talking about this week has, I think, one of the great sequel titles. And so I was wondering, like, what are your favorite sequel names playing on the name of the original? I mean, we have to shout out Break Into Electric Boogaloo. Another right, that's one of the great uh, Cube 2 Hypercube is right up there as well. I did not know that that existed, and I'm a big oh, fan. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. But I do appreciate the recent coming to America because that one committed to a visual bit and made it difficult to differentiate the pronunciation unless you say coming to America. I think that was the perfect title, and I was very pleased to see them do it. Yes. Because Coming to America 2 is terrible. Coming to America 2, T-O-O, and then he has to bring another person. The Happy Feet move. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, Happy Feet. A movie that every time I remember it exists, I am surprised that Have you seen exists. Happy Feet 2? I have not seen Happy Feet 2, and nor have I seen Surf's Up. I have not seen Surf's Up. Happy Feet 2 is bananas. I need you to know that in Happy Feet 2, there is a running minor subplot that comes in at the end featuring Matt Damon and Brad Pitt as Krill named Bill and Will. That sucks. And I think I've seen it. It's such a strange movie. I mean, Happy Feet, the original, has like a realistic-ish CGI animation of a giant oil tanker that was terrifying. Yeah, the last act of that movie is wild. That movie is not that happy. But it is about the joy of dance. It is about the joy of dance and the sadness of being kidnapped. Anyway, are there other sequel titles you really like? Um, I think those are the ones that come to the top of my head. I am curious what your number one is. I don't know. I, I love the simplicity of Aliens. Yeah, that's a really good sequel title. Right, and I mean, there's also the legendary story of James Cameron walking into a meeting at Fox when they asked him what he wanted to work on, and he wrote Alien on the board and then added a dollar sign after it. I mean, that is a very infamous moment in cinema financing that I think the amount of chutzpah that that takes. Look, Mark, all I'm saying is you never bet against James Cameron. When he tells you you want to see something, you probably do. Well, I don't know if want to, but... Will might be a better description. If it hasn't become clear yet, I'm going to be beating this drum all year. I know. And when it doesn't come out, I will be very happy. No, it's coming. I think it's a myth. I think it's the Loch Ness Monster of film. This is not a New Mutants situation. We'll see. But in addition to that, I mean, you brought up Speed earlier. Speed's got a great sequel name. Speed 2 Cruise Control. I forgot that that was the name of the sequel. A great name! Cruise Control. I mean, why didn't they just use Cruise Control with the bus? 
I guess buses probably don't have cruise control. I have not seen Speed. Me neither. I've seen, like, scenes of it on TV, but I've never sat down and watched Speed. Yeah. I know that the bus has to go fast or it explodes. Yeah, the bomb goes off if it goes below some speed. I think it's 55. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, the sequel to the 1987 film Mannequin is Mannequin 2 on the move. Mannequin 2 on the move is a great name. Isn't it? I do know that the only returning character is Hollywood. That's maybe not true. Oh, wait. Who else is in it? Or Hollywood is the only named returning character. Yes. In Mannequin 2. But the trash compactor janitor from the last sequence, he also comes back now as a guard. And he didn't have a name in the first movie and he does in the second one. So he might be playing the same character. That is absurd. What a weird choice. That janitor was creepy too. Very much so. I can't wait to talk about Hollywood. I didn't know what to tell you about Hollywood before you watched it, so I just didn't. (laughs) I think it's time we start the show, because I have a lot of thoughts about this movie. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This, of course, is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the the very least important question (laughs) facing the world. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And... Is Kim Cattrall actually an Egyptian or even likable? The answer might surprise you. <laughs> the answer might surprise you. But probably not. But no. The answer is no. No matter what Mannequin wants you to believe. Anyway, it doesn't matter if the romance <laughs> is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, as we've stated outright, we are talking about the romance of the 1987, I don't know, department store rom-com Mannequin, directed by Michael Gottlieb. Starring Kim Cattrall and Andrew McCarthy. What a weird movie. Okay. We've been trying to watch this movie for a while. I don't remember how I found out about it, but I remember texting you the Wikipedia page and saying, we need to do this. We put it on the schedule. We announced it. And then we couldn't find it anywhere. And we finally got it from the library. So we had to do like a library DVD handoff for us both to be able to watch this. The hubris of man. We forgot to check if it was streaming under the assumption that it just would be yeah it's a romantic comedy from the 1980s i can't believe that this isn't available for streaming i think it's just not good enough yeah it's not a good movie i'd venture to say it's bad Uh, it is a terrible movie but it's so weird just the premise of this movie alone i am glad i watched it it's a it's a baffling film. It makes so little sense. There are times where it's kind of compelling. I think Kim Cattrall is good in it. But it's also quite dull because the stakes are so low. Yeah, and I mean, it is boring like, at times. It, this movie, this is a long 90 minutes. It is a long 90 minutes. There's so much of this movie that is just them running around the department store having fun. <laughs> a lot of montages. This a is like lot of montages. Shrek levels of percentage of screen time that is montages. And it's just, like, about the joys of a department store, too. Like, right. Look, you can go camping and be a rock star and go swimming all at the same place. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be reading, like, an implicit criticism of malls into this movie. But I also don't think the movie has that much on its mind. I don't think this movie is thinking. I think this movie just 
is a movie about a mannequin that comes to life. <laughs> right. I will also say, I assumed this was a Pygmalion movie. Just based on the general description, I was like, oh, this is clearly guy builds a mannequin, it comes to life, he falls in love. All of that technically does happen in this movie. Except it's not clear that the mannequin comes to life so much as it becomes host to the consciousness of a time-hopping random Egyptian lady who dated Christopher Columbus at some point. Presumably, she possessed a statue or something? Yeah, I was gonna say, it makes sense, like, in the case of the mannequin, or other sculptors, or even painters, because she just comes to life as the thing that is created. But Christopher Columbus is not an artist. He didn't create anything. She also, at one point, says that she picked him. And, like, what does that mean? Does that mean her essence is just kind of floating until she chooses a vessel to enter? I have a lot of questions about the basic function of this movie, which I think are the movie's fault. Like, the Egyptian thing never comes up in the movie. Like, there's this weird prologue that she's in ancient Egypt, and she doesn't want to get married, and she prays to the gods to escape, and then vanishes. And then it never comes up. It doesn't come up again, but then it cuts immediately to an animated opening sequence that's like two minutes long. The best part of the movie. The best part of the movie. And also, like, the animated sequence is happening. It's awesome. It's animated by Sally Cruikshank, who did a bunch of work for Sesame Street in the 80s and 90s, as well as some independent animation. And it's awesome. I did not assume that was literal. I thought it was just a cool animation of, like, these are the places she could have gone, but I guess instead she'll be in 1980s Philadelphia. So I didn't assume that happened until she started talking about dating Christopher Columbus. Yeah, I mean, one, we need to bring back animated opening film credits for non-animated movies. Two, absolutely. did we get a peek into the future as well with the robots then? Here's my question, Mark. Can Emmy die? Or at some point... Will she abandon this mannequin body and float forward in time again? Well, now she's a real person at the end of this movie. Like, this is the first time she's come to life because this is the real love. It's almost less Pygmalion than it is Pinocchio. Yeah. Except that she's not the protagonist. It's weird. This movie's so strange. Is she gonna die now? Like, will she live out a normal human life and die at the end of the movie? I think that all of the stuff that baffles me about this movie sounds really interesting if you have not watched it. But the thing is, the movie has no interest in it. I love, I'm going to post this on our Twitter page. I found and read Roger Ebert's review of this movie, which is just hysterical. Not because he's cracking jokes, but because you're reading maybe the best person to ever do film criticism just be completely unable to muster any interest in the movie. (laughs) Like, it's all very short sentences as he just kind of, like, casually tells you what the movie is. And then he's like, you might be thinking there's more to it, but there is not. I just don't understand how they came up with this idea and were so uninterested in their own idea. So, Michael Gottlieb, who directed it, also co-wrote the script with Edward Rugoff, and he said he got the idea after walking down Fifth Avenue and thinking he saw a mannequin move in the window of Bergdorf Goodman. To which I say, why is the mannequin Egyptian? There's just so many questions and no answers, and they chose to focus on the most bland man 
instead of telling us the story of this mannequin that travels through time. So, apparently, speaking of the bland man, played by Andrew McCarthy, apparently the original version of the script had the lead as, like, an older guy who owned the store. Apparently they wanted to cast Dudley Moore, which, like, would be a very different movie. If you have Dudley Moore, like, the better part of a decade after Arthur falling in love with a weird mannequin. But they hired this market researcher named Joseph Farrell to work on the movie as an executive producer. And he did all of these focus groups to test different possible leads for the movie. And apparently Andrew McCarthy tested really well with teenage girls. And so he was like, that's who you cast. That's your lead. I mean, he is charming, but it's just so weird to focus on him when you wrote a backstory where Kim Cattrall hides in a pyramid to escape marriage to a camel dung seller and then disappears because the gods intervened without interrogating, why did the gods pick her? Are the Egyptian gods real? How often does she exist? How often does she just float through the ether? How does she choose where to exist? I think part of what we're tripping up against is that for the runtime of the movie, Jonathan is the lead. Yes. The movie is about what Jonathan wants, and Emmy is either, like, symbolic of him finding fulfillment or literally just what he wants. And the problem is, the prologue sets up a movie that is about Emmy, where she has these, like, weird, weird weird backstory tied into ancient Egypt. And so we start off like, that's our person. Wacky stuff happens to her. The Egyptian gods might be real, as you said. And the next time we see her, she doesn't seem to want anything. Like, she's just there. She's like happy to be kind of playful in the store with this dude that she apparently picked. But like, she has no goals. She has no driver. Like, she seems happy in the end to be real, But she'd never even mentioned wanting that before. I mean, they literally made her a mannequin. Like, she exists to look pretty and make a man happy with no desires of her own. She is hollow inside. And I, that would be bad, but I think easier to accept if not for the prologue. Like, if it were just Pygmalion. If it was just, he made a mannequin and it came to life. Yeah. But they made the prologue and the opening credit sequence. And they're so weird and so good. I wish the movie maintained that level of zaniness throughout. Exactly. Yeah. It feels really promising for about five minutes. And then it's like, okay, when you're watching Jonathan get fired from a bunch of jobs. But it just continues to lose steam once those first five minutes are done. And every once in a while, you're like, there's a weird, horny Italian man wandering around. Maybe he'll do something interesting. But nope, he's just there. Estelle Getty owns the department store. That's fun. Is she going to have some good jokes? No. No. But then you do have Hollywood, who is the department store's main window dresser, who is just so over the top. I love Hollywood. He made the movie so much better. Ebert called Hollywood an anthology of stereotypes, which I loved. It's a problem. But also, everyone is weirdly accepting of Hollywood in this movie, except for the villain. Right, yeah. This movie is, in its text, opposed to homophobia. So that's good. Yeah. I mean, Hollywood is written by people who definitely think they are less homophobic than they are. Yeah. But also, I laughed. 
and his sunglasses were so good. It is a great character. I love the whole show he puts on of showing up to a meeting in a suit. Like, the enormous sacrifice he's making to not wear a ridiculous outfit. Well, I mean, the best part of that is the reveal where he shows up in a ridiculous outfit and then before going into the boardroom he whips it off his body and just has a normal boring suit underneath yeah it's a great performance it's very captivating in a way that nothing else in this movie is besides maybe just looking at illustra the rival department store okay to be clear illustra is a redecorated boscovs yeah and that's what i love about it because it's so clearly a bad department store. Right, that's, I cannot tell what the vibe of Illustra is supposed to be, which is the rival department store trying to shut down the, like, long-standing, like, very classical feel department store that Hollywood and Jonathan work at. Illustra is supposed to be, like, the cool, sexy, neon department store where you can buy a dryer and new clothes, but there'll be pink neon lights. Like, it's really trying to position itself as cool department store which i don't think is a thing like it feels like illustra should be a mall at the end of the day this movie also just points out that all department stores are at core identical and there's nothing really that special about any of them i guess the decorations at prince and co are classy yeah but i don't know it's a weird situation and i do think it works better if it's a department store versus a mall yeah but i mean the thing is malls don't compete with department stores because at a place like philadelphia where they're both downtown department stores they're not existing in malls and department stores only survived because of the mall yeah i guess you're right about that um the department store where they shot this in philadelphia is now a macy's by the way well as are all of them There was big outcry in Atlanta when the historic department store of Atlanta was bought by Macy's. My Georgia history teacher was personally offended. (laughs) She brought it up. I mean, also, we haven't even talked about the fact that the way he saves the store is by making slightly more elaborate than normal window dressing. Yeah, that's the thing. So this is like, Estelle Getty has a department store. It's going under. They are on the cusp of selling to Illustra because James Spader is conspiring to destroy the department store. We haven't even mentioned James Spader yet. Oh my god. Literally, like, the movie starts, like, the day before they're gonna approve the sale of this store. And then, because Jonathan designs a cool display window, suggestively they're good. I don't understand it. I believe that that could be a bigger driver of traffic in 1987 than today, because you don't have online retail, but I don't know. I have a hard time buying this. I really wish I could understand the context of these windows. I can't tell from my perspective what it was like at this time. Were these windows that they showed in the movie more elaborate than what else you would see? Would they be worth looking at? I just don't have that. I don't know if I'll ever have that context, and it makes me very sad. And it's just the thing, too, of, like, as we said earlier, a decent chunk of this movie is montages of Andrew McCarthy and Kim Cattrall designing department store windows. Yeah, and just, I don't care. It's something I so am uninterested in, which is department store windows. 
So let's talk about Kim Cattrall. I think she's doing as well as can be done. Yes. As we said, her job in this is basically to be pretty and winsome, and she does that well. Yes. I mean, that is one of the many things she does well, but it is probably her primary thing. Certainly in this movie. Yeah. Like, this is coming, obviously, toward the end of her 80s run, which goes basically from Porky's at the beginning, when she's like the hot gym teacher, to, we'll say, Star Trek Six in 91. She was in a Star Trek? Yeah. She is... Do you want? Do you mind if I spoil Star Trek Six? I don't care. So that's one that's all about like peace being established finally between the Federation and the Klingons because it's got to be a like at that point Next Gen is running and so it's supposed to be what like a bridge movie towards the status quo of Next Generation when you can like have Worf on board the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. So that movie is all about like that peace treaty being made. Kim Cattrall plays a Vulcan who is like a double agent and is working with Klingon hardliners to undermine the treaty. I mean, the problem is I only know her from Sex and the City and now this. So I don't know what other range she has, but based off of those performances, that is a surprise. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the third act twist that yeah. Kim Cattrall, who's just kind of been around, is, whoops, she's the villain. That role was originally supposed to be Kirstie Alley's character from Wrath of Khan which would be more of a twist, but they didn't want it to be this character that people liked. So they yeah. had to make it someone new. Wow. What a career. I've, like, kind of purely by coincidence been watching a lot of, like, 80s Kim Cattrall over the last year. Like, I watched The Undiscovered Country. I watched Police Squad, like, two weeks ago, where she is the girl in Police Squad. She's pretty good in Big Trouble in Little China, a movie where she is far from being the lead, but gets a lot more to do in terms of characterization, where she's, like... A small-scale neighborhood newspaper journalist who gets roped in with Kurt Russell as he's going into, like, the weird magical nonsense of that movie. I should watch that. Was that good? I haven't seen it. It's so good. It's completely ridiculous. But unlike this ridiculous movie, it actually works totally. So this is towards the end of her, like, big movie career, you said. So what? when does Sex and the City start? 1997. Okay. So it's 10 years after this. Yeah. Because I know that she was like, she was the name that they got for Sex in the City. Yes, absolutely. And in the meantime, like between Star Trek and Sex in the City, like she's in, you know, occasional thriller movies. She's doing a decent amount of stage acting in the 90s. And then Sex in the City supercharges that next phase of her career. And now you can watch her on Hulu in How I Met Your Father. She was also in some like show about being rich recently. I think it lasted six episodes. It looks like she was on a a, a ten episode show called Filthy Rich that I think aired on Fox. Yes, in 2020. I had not heard of this. Uh, it lasted ten episodes, and I think it was for a reason. Um, I did not know she was British and Canadian. Just learned. Yeah, I learned that earlier. She was like born in the UK, but moved to Canada when she was like three months old, and like spent some time back and forth. I did appreciate the age gap in this movie. We talk a lot about like weird age gaps in movies, especially movies that star Tom Cruise and Andrew McCarthy, who at this point, he's a year after playing a high schooler in pretty in pink that he's in this movie. He's only 24. Kim Cattrall is 30. And it's rare that you have 
a romantic pairing where the woman is older, but I think it's good because it mirrors the character's age gap since Emmy is like 2,500 years old. Yeah. I mean, I think she says she's like 4,000 plus years old, which is Right, so it should so be played absurd. by an older actress. Right. And it's weird how young he looks. I mean, we are explicitly told he has never had like a long-standing job, and you don't have this sense that he's been like beaten down by being unable to do that for years. Like he's a little too clueless. Yeah. For that. I mean, he is acting of an age where you kind of do just goof around and take different jobs and aren't really thinking about the future. But he also looks exactly. like he could be playing a 16-year-old the previous year. But, you know, it, it's tough when you are dating a high-powered, uh, let me check my notes, a worker at another department store, and she doesn't respect your failure to uh, get a nice job at, I'm seeing, a, a department store. All right. Uh, now that we're getting into this, should we start talking about the romance? Because that character, Roxy, fascinates me. She's bizarre. Let's do it. All right. So every week we break down the romantic plotline of a movie into five points. This week, I will take us to point number one, which, as we've discussed, is the opening scene establishing Kim Cattrall slash Emmy's uh, character, in quotes, where she is pretending to be a mummy. She has wrapped herself in bandages in an Egyptian tomb. It's so bizarre. And then her mom walks in. The wedding has been all arranged. Oh, please, God. Please get me out of this. You turn down the jeweler. You turn down the grain You turn down the Pharaoh's food taster. There's only one man left who will have you. You are going to marry Hazarah. So what does he do? He's a fuel merchant. Mother. All right, so he sells camel dung. Forget it. I just... What's going on there? But then we get the opening credits. And the movie's never been better. And the movie hits its peak. But then to establish where we are in Andrew McCarthy's life, whose name in the movie is something. Jonathan. Jonathan. Jonathan is dating Roxy. Roxy is played by Carol Davis, who... Connection back to earlier is in James Cameron's first movie, Piranha 2 The Spawning. I think she is giving a very funny performance. Yes. I think the supporting cast of this movie largely understands that they are in a bad movie. Yes. And they're all just going for it. So, like, she is getting to have fun as a ludicrously evil person. James Spader looks like Jack Skellington in this movie. James Spader (laughs) is playing a John Early character. He has the biggest round glasses. He's just, like, skinny and lanky, and, like, he's always hunched over, which has the effect of making him look taller. He's balding with his hair pasted to his skin. You've got G.W. Bailey as, like, the most intense and incompetent department store guard. And then you also have the, like, purely evil head of Illustra department store. Which, again, I cannot be clear enough. It's just a department store with it's neon still lights. It's just a department store. But he's been, he placed a mole in this organization to bring it down. My god, it's so weird. But Roxy is a high-powered-ish executive at Illustra. And she gets picked up by Jonathan on his motorcycle, which apparently is embarrassing to her. Yeah, when, since when were motorcycles not cool in movies? I don't know. Like, but then everyone's he, making fun of her because her boyfriend rides a motorcycle? Yeah. Like, 
Would I get on the back of somebody's motorcycle? Probably not. But in movies, they're cool. They are cool. But not to her, because it doesn't have doors. He was working as a mannequin sculptor, but then got fired. And with this firing, she's basically just like, okay, this is it. Calls it off. And Jonathan has made a mannequin that he thinks is his magnum opus of mannequinness. Yes. I mean, we're introduced to him building the mannequin, talking to it. He tells us, like, he's on track to, like, make four to six of these a month, which is crazy. Like, he should be fired if that is his pace. I also just don't understand what is happening with this mannequin store. Is he just, like, piecing mannequins that are mass-produced together? Is he molding the plastic? Who can say? I don't know. That mannequin had a very detailed nipples. Yes. I hate mannequins. And this movie just drove that home. I think the weirdest mannequins are the ones that have, like, really, really large bulges in place of a penis. Yeah, those ones are weird. The, like, underwear But I also think mannequins, mannequins with nipples are weird. Yeah. Just, uh, uh, just hang the clothes. That's all you need to do. But this brings us to point number two, where he sees the mannequin in the window of a department store. When you were making me, didn't you feel a certain inspiration? Almost like your hands were being moved by a force not of this world. You made this body so that I could come to life. So I said, mind the Twilight Zone, or am I just not? <laughs> so glad I picked you. Hey, I'm gonna create someone who doesn't like me. Right, he's been dumped. His motorcycle has, like, died. So he's walking through the streets. And he's, it's pouring rain. Like, comically heavy rain. And he sees the mannequin staring through at him. Later on, we are told that Kim Cattrall saw him in this moment. Now, was she already in the body of the mannequin, or did she just perceive him through the ether? We don't know. Maybe it was just because he coincidentally made a mannequin that looks like Kim Cattrall. We should also mention that in the midst of this, a horny Italian man named Armand has been heavily hitting on Roxy. I mean, and not respecting sexually her harassing Roxy. Yes. Unlike Kim Cattrall, the guy who plays Armand, born in Egypt. Oh, interesting. Oh my god, this movie. Because this is where he goes back to the department store and then rescues Estelle Getty, daughter of the founder of this department store, by holding on to a sign that is swinging back and forth while getting shocked by an electric cable. This scene goes on for a long time. This scene goes on for a long time. But then, as thanks, she gives him a job. And that's great. He doesn't know how to do anything, which is what James Spader points out. But she's like, you have to give him a job, James Spader. And he's like, well, I'll use him to destroy this store. Right. He gets put on stock duty. And then, why does he stay late? Who could say why anything happens in this movie? I don't know. He's working with Hollywood and... Be- I, part of it, and I think because- he's like looking for the mannequin. Yeah, he wants to be waiting close for everybody to, to his mannequin. The store. So he can find the mannequin. Right. So eventually he finds her. They are alone. And this is when she comes to life. Because she can only be alive when no one else can see her. But that's like only sort of true. Because, I don't know, the movie plays very fast and loose with that rule. I mean, people can hear her. When she's riding on the back of his motorcycle, we are told specifically that she is not visible when two characters we know look straight at her. But... It's the middle of a city. I think the implication is that she's 
perceived as a mannequin by the others in that time. Mm. Like a Calvin and Hobbes scenario. Yeah. But it is weird that they can hear her. Very much so. Uh, wow. Yeah, so she comes to life. This kind of brings us to point three. You know what? I'm looking at my notes. There is a point where she talks about liking how it felt when he built her. I don't understand the rules of this movie. That's because this movie doesn't understand its own rules. There are no rules. I I wrote in all caps at that point, what are the rules? Oh my god. Yeah, so they start goofing off and build a wonderful little window display of people playing tennis with a tennis ball that moves back and forth. Mrs. Timken loved what you did last night, but they think I did it. And they want me to keep coming up with brilliant windows. You gotta help me. Of course. So, like, she's his muse, and they just spend all night designing cool windows that prominently feature her. And then this goes on for, like, 40 minutes with not a much while. else with not much else happening. And again, this is where the, the problem is, who cares what's happening? Because he is happy. Like, he wants nothing else. He has this job. He has her. He's good. And she doesn't want anything. So it's just like, there's no story here except... Will this store get taken over by Illustra? Will Which the security guard, I don't know, attack him? Because the security guard hates him for no reason. For no reason. Well, I mean, the security guard actually does hate him because the security guard is homophobic and he is nice to Hollywood. Uh, James Spader hates him because he's bringing in business to the store. Right, and James Spader would like get a good job at Illustra if this store went under. But yeah, there's like 30 minutes of just goof-off time with not much plot. But this brings us to point four, where the movie's all of a sudden like, oh wait, we have to have a plot. All right, don't forget that in that window, some big stuff happens. Jonathan gets promoted to vice president. Oh my god. Oh my god. his, His windows are so good that when James Spader is fired, Jonathan gets promoted from window designer to vice president. And this is why the store is failing. Also, when Roxy sees Jonathan going around on the motorcycle with a mannequin, she, like, throws up her hands and agrees to have sex with Armand, the sexual harasser from her office. And the movie, like, heavily implies that he, like, finishes immediately. No, it implies that he has, like, erectile dysfunction. Oh, sure. That he can't get it up at all. It's also implied that Jonathan and Emmy have, like, vigorous sex in a tiny tent. In the store? Yeah, I was going to bring this up in point four, too, but, like, people start to catch on that he is in love with this mannequin, including in photographs, where he is theoretically, they were supposed to be compromising photos, but to me, they really just look like the mannequin fell over on top of him. Yes, that is exactly what it looks like. Roxy's like, we can't publish these photos, it'll destroy his career, it'll destroy his life, and I'm like... He could just say, uh, the mannequin fell on top of me. And instead of helping me, this person was here taking photos. But at the store, people are weirdly supportive of his mannequin love, I guess because it brings them money. Yeah, they're like, look, it's genius. What are you gonna do? But then Illustra decides to get back at well, them. Well, first they try to poach him. They want to get him to come and work yes. for Illustra. Oh, and I he refuses. Part. And so then they're like, well, if we take his mannequin, then we can hold that hostage. So that we can say, like, come work for us or we'll destroy the mannequin. This is the one! This is the one! You're positive? Absolutely! Ooh, wait a minute. This one kind of looks like her, too. 
are in the hands of a vegetable. Just get the mannequin. Get, get the mannequin. So Emmy is kidnapped along with every like, other the mannequin. The of these windows are too high. Like, if Illustra is doing well, who cares? Like, clearly, this place was going under. So Illustra is the successful store. I don't get the vibe that, like, everyone has stopped going to Illustra. Though they actually do make that clear. They say, like, Illustra's okay. profits are down 90%. Something absurd. Oh, wow. How long does this movie take place across? It felt like it took a week. Yeah, who knows? Also, when does Jonathan sleep? He mentions at one point that he doesn't sleep much. Yeah. So he's he getting his, like, hour good shape or two. Considering he stays up all night with Kim Cattrall, and then he works all day. Unclear what he does working all day, because he designs the windows at night, but I suppose when he becomes a vice president, he has to go to board meetings and stuff. I mean, maybe he goes home and sleeps during the day, but the movie just does not care about these details. But yeah, so Illustra steals all of the mannequins. Jonathan knows that they did, so he goes to get them back, and then... Um, Roxy gets jealous of the mannequin and decides to destroy them all. A weird scene. So she's like running through the store with this cart full of mannequins while he is chasing her. And then every security guard at the store is chasing him until Hollywood sprays them with a fire hose, which holds them back for Roxy to put them all in this weird giant industrial trash compactor. This movie is so weird. Yeah, this sequence is also a long one. There's so much fire hose happening. But anyway, uh, Jonathan is able to get to the compactor. He shuts it down. He, like, runs up. He catches Emmy before she falls in. He, like, holds on to her for a while. There's a lot of cutting back and forth between the two of them, failing to pull her up before suddenly she's a real girl. Yeah, so he pulls her up, and then all of a sudden she's still alive. Yeah, I don't know why she's a real girl now. Is it because he saved her? Like True love, I again, guess. But like, I don't know. I They had already been talking about having kids together. They'd already had sex in the tent in the store that presumably had beds in it, being a department store. Well, he does wake up in a bed at one point. I don't know. But she's a real girl. The cops arrest James Spader and the security guard for theft after Estelle Getty shows up. Is like, arrest these men! Then the store owner also gets arrested for kidnapping because Ebby is now alive, so she can say she was kidnapped. It's a lot. I don't know that that one's going to hold up. I think he might get off on that one. Yeah. But this brings us to point five, which is very quick, but they get married in the shop window and all of the shoppers are clapping outside. Yeah. Hollywood officiates. Again, this is one where I don't know why people in the street care, because they didn't watch the movie. I mean, he is written about in the New York Times as a hot new window developer. I guess. It's so weird. He is in the newspaper. What a weird, what a weird and shockingly boring movie. Well, Will, do you find the romance of this movie believable? No. I don't feel like I know anything about Emmy. Like, I know that she was an Egyptian lady who didn't want to get married to a dung dealer, but the next time I see her, she is okay with being married, and I don't really know what changed for her. Like, I don't know what she wants. She's a mannequin pixie dream girl. Like, How long have you been workshopping that one, Will? That popped into my head as I was watching. That was locked and loaded. (laughs) 
Oh my god. I do think that Jonathan is the type of person that would fall in love with a woman that offers nothing besides love. Which is an improvement over his last girl who did not offer love to him. Yeah. But it's so weird because Emmy is so empty. Like, she's a hollow inside. It's almost like all of what should make her her has been, like, pulled out through her nose and we're just left with this husk. I hated that. So, Will, where would you rate (laughs) this on a 10-point scale? I don't have a clue. I have (laughs) no idea. No idea. I'm just going to say a 2 and leave it there. It feels very easy to mark this as a 2 and just be done. And, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Do you think Emmy or Jonathan is dateable? I have too many questions about Emmy. I'm concerned that she dated Christopher Columbus. To me, that shows bad judgment. A reminder, Christopher Columbus was arrested by the Crown of Spain for being too murdery towards indigenous Americans. This is the same Crown of Spain that kicked all Muslims and Jews out of the country. Yes. You have to be so bad to get arrested by them. So so that's a no for Emmy. Jonathan seems annoying. I gotta say it. He's just too much. Yeah. It's so weird. Uh, do I think they would stay together? Yes, I do think they would stay together, which is a win for all of us. I just don't know what's going to happen to Emmy, too. Look, Mark, nothing's going to stop them now. I cannot believe that that is an original song from this movie. Neither can I. I just, like, made a note of, like, wow, nothing's going to stop us now. He's really blasting over the wedding in the store window. Academy Award-nominated film, Mannequin. Yeah. Look, it's a good song. It's better than some of the other song nominees that year. Yes, but it was not better than I'll Have the Time of My Life. Right, which one? Yeah. I don't know why I got the tense wrong there. I had the time of my life. But, like, the credit song from The Princess Bride was nominated that year, and that song is a stinker. Yeah. Weird year. Yeah. Of course, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now is a Diane Warren Oscar-nominated song, one of her 13. She is incredible. As we record, the Oscars have not yet happened, so she has had 13 nominations. She technically could win in a couple weeks, but it does not seem likely. She is incredible. Will, if you did have to pick one person to date, who would you pick? This is tough, because I think effectively nobody in this movie exercises good judgment. I think I'm going to go with Estelle Getty for lack of better options. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's, there's no real other option. They're all terrible people. Or even if they're not terrible people, like Hollywood, exhausting. Yes. Emmy dated Christopher Columbus. I don't have time to like engage with the weirdness of her life. Um, Maybe one of the other shop workers who's leading in against the door of the women's room while he's gossiping in there with Emmy. Oh, they're fun. Yeah. So m- maybe it's them. I'm going to stick with uh, Estelle Getty, but that's a good option. Mark, yes. should there be a mannequin musical on Broadway? If they were to make a mannequin musical, I would need every question we have posed in this episode to be answered. And if it is not, then no musical. Here's the thing. I think a mannequin musical would have to be better than the movie. So it would be an improvement. I think the number one improvement you have to make is to make Emmy at least co-lead, if not lead, of the movie. Yeah, Emmy has to be the star. Because as it is, she is like just this hollow figure at the center of the movie. And that means it fundamentally doesn't work. Yeah. (sighs) All right. I think that's about it for this movie. I don't know if I can talk about it anymore. 
Yep, that's fair. Um, next week, we're going to cover something that we will definitely have a lot to talk about, which is, at long last, The Room! A movie that has haunted me throughout my life by having the name Mark. What? <laughs> I, I haven't started episodes of this podcast referencing that movie. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, oh my god. I'm very excited to see this again. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show, especially on Apple Podcasts. It'll help other people discover the love. Mark, what is the best piece of dating advice you got from Mannequin? Oh my god. Um, don't care what others think of how your relationship works. If you're in love, oh, just nice. love them. There you go. Very nice advice. Um, as for me, I am going to say it's okay to look for love in unusual places, like the trash compactor janitor who keeps sifting through mannequins after he watches one come to life. I mean, it's not the least believable thing anymore. Yeah. But there you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about the Bye. Bye.